Well, it's good to be back at Porchlight Baptist Church this morning. It's been three or four weeks since we met together. Uh, I was sick one week, and then I've been uh, filling in at other churches at Northside and out at Outreach last Sunday. Had a great service with those guys. And, but it's good to be back here at our home church at Porchlight. And glad to see those who's able to come out. Those that are watching online, we thank you for watching. Pray the Lord blesses you today, and pray the message will be helpful to you. And we're still in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7, be taking our text from this morning, Romans chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 25, so 14 through the rest of the chapter on this, uh, sometimes it's uh, controversial for some people, not that the Bible is controversial, it's not, it's people make it that way, because men disagree on different interpretations. You can take these passages of scripture, which are fundamental to the faith of a Christian, because this shows us how a Christian lives um, and, the, and the struggle that we have to deal with. And we're going to talk about that as we go. But a uh, very important uh, letter here that Paul has written to the Romans. And uh, some of the things that he puts in here is surprising to some people. And they can't quite grasp the fact that he is a saved man that's writing this. And they want to claim that he was not saved at the, at the time that he's talking about that he's referring to uh, the time before he was saved. But uh, we're going to look at that and see that that's not the case, that it is while Paul was saved that uh, he, he wrote these words, and uh, it was in present tense. So let's go ahead and read our text, Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 14. And here the Bible says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. I need your help today. Lord, you know how important these passages of scripture are. And Lord, we just need to be able to preach the best that we can so that folks can get the best understanding that's possible from your word. And God, I can't do that. Lord, I need you to do it for me, do it through me, and that you'll be glorified in this message this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we pick up here in the middle of chapter 7, uh, I guess it's been four weeks ago that we were in here and looked at the first uh, what 13 verses and we saw some some surprising things that Paul was talking about and he's talking about the, how 
the law. Of course, that we're not under the law anymore. But he started seeing the law in a different way once that he was saved. He didn't see law the same. If you remember, before Paul was saved, and uh, he, he said he was perfect uh, of the law, in the law, according to the law. And so he felt in himself that he was walking perfectly in the law, and that's all that mattered. Well, after he got saved, he realized what the law did. The law brought out all of his sin. It, it made it stand out. And while he was unsaved, he, he couldn't see that. It wasn't until after he became saved that he understood the trueness of the law and what God was actually doing with it. It was a schoolmaster. It was to bring us uh, uh, to the things of God. It was a shadow of what was to come through Christ. And Paul said this, he said that it wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. That word concupiscence is a King James word that means desire, craving, longing, a desire for what is forbidden, lust. That's what that word means. And so what Paul says is, once I became saved and I understood what the law did, it brought out this in me. It, sh it put a, shined a spotlight on my carnal nature, the concupiscence that's in me, that carnal desire, craving, and longing, and that forbidden lust that, that's within me. And so it's our fleshly carnal nature uh, to want to do that which is forbidden. What God says is a sin. That's, it's in our nature. Uh, we, that sin nature from Adam that was passed on to us is still with us and will always be with us. We will never be able to rid ourselves of that sin nature that we are born with. It is our flesh. It's our carnality. And David, he wrote this in the Psalms in Psalm 51.5. He said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So David had a clear understanding that we were born into sin. We were conceived in sin. We were born into sin. Sin nature is passed on to us, and there's nothing we can do about that. So here in our opening text, Paul continues, and he's using himself as the example in this case. You know, a lot of times we can use other people for examples. You know, say, well, example, this man did this and that man did that and this and that. But Paul, this is so close to him, um, he understands it so good. He's willing to use himself as the example here of someone that has that sin nature in them. And so verse 14, he says, for we know that the law is spiritual. Now, before Paul was saved, he didn't see the law as spiritual. He saw it as something that showed right from wrong, something to follow, something to adhere to, something strict, and to keep that. And so he felt that his place was to keep the law. But now, after he's been saved, he sees the law is spiritual. It's something God gave. It's a gift, actually, from God. And to a lot of people, it seemed to be a curse because, oh, no, we've got to follow these laws. But for God, these things are spiritual because they bring out the things that God hates. And he, and he shines a light on him. And Paul says, we know that the law is spiritual, but look what he said. But I am carnal, sold under sin. He said he was sold under sin. Now, it's believed that Paul was converted around the year 37 to 40 A.D. Sometime in that time frame, 37, 38, 39, 40 A.D. A.D., of course, means Anna Domino, which means uh, in Latin, the year of our Lord. That's what that means. Uh, B.C. means before Christ, and A.D. means the year of our Lord. A lot of people get that mixed up and think that A.D. means after death. It does not mean after death. It means the year of our Lord. 
uh, and it, which signifies the birth of Christ, uh, whereas B.C. means before Christ. Now, today, of course, you may have noticed in the last 20 to 30 years, they've tried to get out of using B.C. and, and uh, A.D. because Christ is always brought up in that, because it refers to Christ and religion. And so there's been a, a, a push to get rid of it and just use B.C.E. and C.E. C.E. means common era. And B.C.E. means before common era. And so today in these colleges, campuses, they don't use B.C. and A.D. because it's religious theme. And so they want to use the B.C.E. and, and the C.E. Uh, instead of, of what we use. Now, of course, we're going to continue using before Christ and the year of our Lord, A.D. But uh, just threw that in there for, for free. Uh, Paul's epistle here, and I, I told this to the church at Outreach last week, epistle simply means a letter. And, of course, when you're talking about the Bible, it means a religious letter. A letter written to uh, for religious purposes, for the purposes of God. Now, this letter to the Romans here, this epistle, was most likely written between the years 56 and 58 A.D. So that is uh, quite a bit of time after Christ was uh, crucified, which was around 33 A.D. Uh, so 33 years after his death, or, or after his birth, was his death. And so Paul was saved sometime afterwards that. And we believe this letter was written around 56 to 58 A.D. So anywhere between 18 to 20 years by this time, uh, after Paul had been saved. He'd been saved 18 to 20 years when he wrote this letter. That's, uh, that's quite remarkable. Now, I was listing off the order of Paul's epistles uh, there last week in, in that Sunday school lesson I taught. And was talking about Romans, how it is the first epistle that's listed in the New Testament, the first letter. You've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You've got the book of Acts. And I said the Acts of the Apostles, it's actually the Acts of Jesus Christ through his Apostles. And then you have the book of Romans. Well, Romans was really the sixth letter that Paul wrote, and not his first one. Uh, so, But it's in the canon of the Scripture for, for a good reason. That's where the, uh, the ones that compiled the canon together and put it in orders that uh, was best. And I believe that was all led by the Lord, the way it was done. But uh, so anywhere between 18, 20 years after Paul was saved, he wrote this letter. And so he's not a rookie. Uh, he is a seasoned veteran. And it's clear to see that Paul, what he's stating here, he says that he is carnal, sold under sin. It does not say I was carnal. So he's not referring back to before he was saved. He says, I am carnal. And you'd be shocked and amazed to to know that a large percentage of people that claim to be Christian today believe that once you become saved that you no longer sin. Well, that's simply not true. If that were true, then the Bible is filled with lies because we're told all through the Bible how we sin. And we sin daily. We will sin daily until the day that we close our eyes in death. We'll continue to sin. Now, what they don't understand is the, the, the new creature in you, the spiritual man, cannot sin. He does not sin because he belongs to Christ. Christ controls that inner man, that new creature. So that creature doesn't sin. And we're going to see that clearer when Paul continues talking about this uh, this battle. But if if it were true that once you become saved, uh, you no longer sin, uh, then 
then what what was that what would that say about man's uh, destiny? We would all die and go to hell if if our sins are not forgiven completely despite sinning after we're saved, then we're in big trouble. Uh, you would take men like uh, like Noah, for example, Noah and Moses, um, Abraham, all these men that that were God's men. They sinned after they were God's men, <laughs> and so if if uh, sinning after being saved. Uh, means that you're going to die and go to hell, then you're in big trouble. That means God's gift is not free, that it's not actually a gift, that it's just some kind of reward, or it's contingent upon your behavior. Our salvation is not contingent upon our behavior. If you can lose your salvation uh, by something you've done, then that means you would be able to get your salvation by doing something. And the Bible says it's not by works. It's grace through faith that we're saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. So you can't, you can't earn salvation by working, and you can't lose it by your works. So the Bible says in 1 John 1, 8 through 10, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. 1 John was written to save people. And John there, he says, if, we, if you're saying to me you don't have any sin, you're a liar. God's a liar if you're saying that. It, because God is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins, all of our unrighteousness. Now, that doesn't mean every time you sin, you lose your salvation, you immediately have to repent, say, God, forgive me, and he forgives you, and then he resaves you. That's not what that means. Some people think that. I heard somebody say one time, this was a preacher, he said, God will always give you the chance to repent right before you die. So if you if you sin, if you get hit by a car and you're about to die, God will give you the chance to repent. That is not in the Bible. That's nowhere in the Bible. That's ridiculous. God's salvation is a one-time thing. He died once for sin. He, not to die anymore. So when you get saved, the Bible says you're, you're saved everlasting. It said it's everlasting salvation. Eternal salvation. We call that eternal security. That term's not in the Bible, but everlasting life is. And uh, living forever, the, the Bible tells us this. And so, we don't become unsaved when we, when we sin. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's uh, faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. What that does, when he forgives us of our sins, that restores our, our relationship with him in uh, the same way that you would with a parent. When I was growing up, if uh, there was something between me and my father I'd done wrong, our relationship was kind of messed up at the time. Uh, we didn't have what, what we re refer to as fellowship. We didn't talk together. We didn't do things together. We were kind of pushed apart because of something I'd done. But after I, I got my chastening, my whipping, uh, forgiveness, uh, I was still his son. There was no point of when I did something against my dad that I didn't no longer was his son. He didn't all of a sudden kick me out, change my name to something else, and say, you're no longer my son. I remained his son. We Our fellowship was broken, but it was restored. When the Lord forgives you of your sins, when you sin, you confess those sins, and, and pray to the Lord, what he does, he restores that fellowship with you. Then you have that, that relationship that, that needs to be there. Now, when you sin, you are the one that's separating yourself from God. It doesn't mean you're no longer one of his children. He doesn't say, okay, you sin, out of here, kick you out. You don't belong to me anymore. That's not what happens. 
No, you broke the fellowship with God. You're out there astray. That's called backsliding, by the way. We, uh, you know, we we used to use that term a lot back in the seventies, and uh, so. But backsliding—that means you've gotten out of God's will. You're out there sinning. You're doing things that's against God, and so you're backslidden. Well, there's always restoration for the backslidden Christian, because it says the in the Bible that He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, so. Uh, Believe it or not, there's some people, like I said, that want to claim that Paul was speaking in the past tense, that he was referring to himself before he got saved. Uh, and, you know, I understand why they want to think that, because this is difficult to grasp. Sometimes it's hard to put your, your, your thoughts around exactly what, what some things in the Bible means. Uh, for instance, I can take, I've got, I don't know, numerous commentaries in there. I can I don't know how many I've got, bunches. And you can take every commentary and go to Romans chapter 7, verse 14, and you're going to find a mixture of people's ideas and opinions on what it means. Uh, some of them claim this was Paul in a, in a former time before he was saved. Even C.I. Schofield, this, this King James Bible I use, and I've got a brand new one. It's the first time I've, I've got to preach out of it, and it's beautiful. And uh, appreciate uh, the church getting it for me. Uh, my oven was worn out. But uh, even C.I. Schofield claims that uh, Paul was referring to a, a former time before he was saved. Uh, I don't believe that. I don't believe all of Schofield's notes that's in this Bible, by the way. And you shouldn't believe every man's notes or commentaries either. What we have to do is we have to weigh the scripture out. We have to test the spirit. We have to lean on the, the presence of the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what his word means. But people do want to believe that he's speaking in a, pre, in a past tense. But Paul is without a doubt referring to present tense Paul. Uh, if, and I did this last night. I went through just these 12 verses that we read this morning and counted the number of times he said, I... He said, I, 30 times in these 12 verses. That's remarkable. I don't know if there's any other uh, scripture in the Bible where the, where the usage of I is used any more than this. And he used the word me in these 12 verses seven times. So I mean, 37 times he's referring to himself. <laughs> that's, that's really something. I heard one preacher, I believe it was uh, maybe Stephen Lawson, preached the message out of this one time. He called it my I problem. That's pretty good. Uh, but Paul is expressing his desire to live spiritually. You see, in his mind and in his heart, he earnestly desires to live a way pleasing to God. He wants to live a righteous life. But his flesh is preventing him from living the, the way that he wants to. Um, he says that he is carnal. That word carnal means fleshly, animalistic in nature. Those are some of the definitions of, of the word carnal. Uh, it's the opposite of spiritual. And so Paul is expressing his desire to live spiritually, but he says, I am carnal. He even says there, I'm sold under sin. That doesn't mean that Paul is a servant to sin. Once you're saved, you're no longer a servant to sin. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't serve sin. You serve God. But Paul says he's been sold under it. That means he's an unwilling participant. He is not a willing participant to be a sinner, or to be sold under sin, but that's what he, he's finding himself. It's like someone who's captured and sold into slavery against their will. And by the way, think of it this way. 
Um, if you are a United States citizen and you have to go to war, let's say we go to war with North Korea, and you get taken as a captive over there, a prisoner. Well, you're a prisoner over in Korea, but you're still still an American citizen. So here in this instance, we see that Paul, he is saved. He's a saved man. He wants to live spiritually, but he says he's sold under sin. He's, and later on, he's going to say he'd become captive to it, and but he's still a citizen of heaven. So when you sin, you're still a citizen of heaven, but you're a captive to sin. That, that might help make sense. And so Paul's describing the inward struggle, the battle between the inward man and the outward man, the fleshly man and the spiritual man, the new man and the old man, the new creature and the old creature. So all of us are like this. In fact, Christians are really a walking contradiction. <laughs> we are spiritual, yet we're carnal. Uh, we want to do what's right, but we find ourselves doing the opposite. And so Paul, what he's describing here is the life of a true Christian. It's the life of a true Christian. And I want to say something that may greatly help you. Listen to me right now. If you don't hear anything else I say, listen to this. For years, I struggled with doubting my salvation. And I would, I would watch other people. I would see how they behaved, how they looked, how they conducted themselves, what they said, uh, all these different things. I would look at them and I would look at myself and I'd say, I am not like them. I don't talk the same way they do. I don't act the way they do or, you know, things like this. And so I was looking on the outside, the outward man, and comparing myself with them and thinking, I must not be saved. And when I would sin, I would think, well, I'm, a, I'm saved. I shouldn't be sinning. I shouldn't even be thinking about sin. And so I, I would get in my head, well, I'm not a saved person. And... So what I was doing was basing external actions on what people looked like and how they acted and assumed I did not measure up and therefore I must not have been saved. But finally the Lord revealed to me in his word that saved people will have a struggle. Saved people is going to have a struggle. If I was not saved, I would not struggle with it. And see, that's one of the, the signs that you're probably saved when you sit around all the time concerned and worried and bothered that you sinned and wonder why. A lost person don't do that. They don't. Because they don't even they don't even contemplate sin. To them they live for self. They live for a carnal nature, for what they can gain. And all they're thinking about is them. They're not thinking about God. God doesn't live in them. The Lord doesn't live in them. The Holy Spirit doesn't live in them. He does live in the Christian. So as a Christian, we're going to have worries. We're going to have conflicts. We're going to have struggles. And when we sin, it's going to bother us. That's the Holy Spirit guiding you. The lost person does not have that. To them, when they sin, it doesn't bother them at all. The only time it bothers them when they get caught at what they've done, if they have to face some kind of uh, repercussion, say they have to go to prison for some crime they committed, they're sorry that they did that. They're sorry they got caught. They're sorry they got to spend time in prison. They're not sorry they actually went through the deed. It didn't bother them to do the deed. They didn't think at all about doing that crime. But when they had to do the time, then it started bothering them. Not in their conscience. 
but just because of their flesh, how their flesh was crying out. Now I'm stuck in prison. Now I'm going to have to pay for this. Now I'm doing this. This is not fair. That's the way the lost person will see it. But when the sinner sins, he knows he sinned against God. And it bothers him. His conscience, the Holy Spirit is is grinding on their conscience. They, they're they're uh, um, qu I'm not quenching the Spirit, but they're they're the spirit is troubled. They're troubling the spirit. And so the spirit is telling them, listen, that is not right. You know better. You know you're sinning. And so you're, it bothers the Christian. And so that's one of the ways that you can understand you most likely are saved if sin bothers you. <laughs> uh, so a true Christian will have guilt. They'll have remorse over what they've done. And uh, they know they're sinning against God. And that's the biggest thing. It's not that you feel bad because of yourself. You feel bad because you know you've lived in a way that's not pleasing to God. And you know that it's wrong in God's eyes. And so Paul describes a true Christian's feelings in these next verses. Verse, look at verse 15. He said, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Now, a lot of people look at these verses and they'll say, boy, this is a lot like a, a riddle. It looks to me when they go through there and see all this, that I do and didn't do and did that and don't want to do it. And they get confused. But if you look at these verses one at a time and see exactly what Paul is saying here, you'll see this is not a riddle. This is what goes on. This is the battle and the struggle that goes on inside of a Christian every single day. And so... The battle plays out. And it's not only in the heart and mind, but it, it's in the very spirit of every believer. Non-believers, like I said, they don't have this struggle. They don't. They're not sitting around you know, saying, well, I don't want to do that. And then, they, and then they do it and they feel bad about it. No, they're sitting there thinking, I want to do that. How am I going to get by with it? How am I going to do it? They never think about uh, it bothering anything. And so they don't see right and wrong the way that we do. A lost person doesn't hate sin the way that Paul's describing here. And I think we can all identify with Paul in this case. Deep inside, in our mind, in our heart, we want to serve the Lord. We want to live in a, in a way pleasing to Him. But yet our fleshly carnal nature wants to gnaw at us and draw us away from what's right. Verse 16, he says, If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Not what he did wrong was good. The law was good is what he's saying. He's saying the law pointed out my failings. The law pointed out my sin. So therefore the law is good. The law is spiritual. That's what he began by saying. We know the law is spiritual. Here he's saying the law is good because it points out my sin. And uh, makes him realize that the law is good. Because the law forbids sinful acts. And, of course, it commands acts of obedience and righteousness. So it shines a light on the sin and the sinful condition of man. Verse 17, he says, Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now this is an interesting verse. <laughs> and so this may be where some of these people get the idea that they no longer sin. That's not what Paul means right here. He's not trying to pass the buck. He's not saying, oh, well, you know. Yeah, I sinned, but it wasn't really me. <laughs> you know, it was it was somebody else. It, it was, you know, the pretend me. <laughs> no, that's not what he means here. 
He's, what he means is, it's not the, the new me, it's not the new creature in me, it's not the, the, the one that I want to be, or what God has made me be, that's doing the sin, it's the old me. It's the sin that dwelleth in me. The sin dwells, that means lives with. And ever since Adam partook of that fruit, sin has lived and, and dwelled in men and women ever since then. Paul says, that's what's causing me to sin. It's not my new creature, the new man, the outward, but it's this inward, uh, carnful, carnal, sinful man that dwells in me, the sin that dwells in me. So it's not the new spirit or the new man that sins. It's the old spirit, the old man that sins. And uh, think of it like this. When you're born, you're born with the first Adam and his nature and his spirit. When you're born again in Jesus Christ, when you get saved, you then are born with the spirit of the second Adam, which is Christ. So physical birth, you're born under the first Adam and his spirit. Spiritual birth, you're born under the second Adam, which is Christ and his spirit. So there's actually two spirits in you, the old spirit, the old man, and the new spirit, the new man. One's spiritual, one's carnal. One's spiritual, one's fleshly. And so, uh, unfortunately, this struggle that we have, we're going to have it until the day that we close our eyes in death. And that's unfortunate. Now, hopefully, the older we get, and the more our sanctification process that we walk in, and the more that we try to walk in a way pleasing with the Lord, we will sin less. But it doesn't mean we're not going to sin. We will sin if it's in our mind or, or whatever it may be. All right, verse 18, he says, For I know that in me, and notice here he, he points out the fact, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. So make sure you, you, you notice that. Paul wants you to, to know that what he's talking about. In him, in his flesh, there's no good thing uh, that dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. So he's emphasizing the fact that in his flesh, there's nothing good. Nothing. And that's true. There's no good in your flesh. Nothing whatsoever. The disciples, they were the same way. Uh, even when they were around Jesus. And you would think, well, now, if I was a disciple and I was walking with Jesus every day for three years, like Peter, James, and Paul, and all them, or, or uh, not Paul, uh, James and John and, and Peter and all the disciples, if I was walking with Jesus like they were, then I wouldn't sin and I wouldn't have a problem with sin. I, I you know, wouldn't have this, this carnal problem. Well, that's not true. The disciples, all of them had that sinful nature, even though they were right there with Christ and his disciples all the time. If you remember when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and he told them to stay here, watch and wait and pray, while I go and pray in the garden. And they couldn't stay awake. They fell, fell asleep on three different times. And Jesus had to keep coming back, waking them up, and say, hey, wake up, pay attention, pray, you know. <laughs> and uh, this is uh, what Jesus said to him in Mark 14, 38. He said, watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Over in, in Matthew, he said it like this. What, or Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, 
but the flesh is weak. You remember what Paul said? He said, uh, for to will is present with me. Uh, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Jesus told his disciples that their spirit was ready, their spirit was willing, but their flesh was weak. So there, the disciples, again, Jesus makes a distinction. There's a, a, a dual personality there. One is spiritual and one is carnal. One is willing and, and uh, able or willing and ready, but the, the flesh, the other one, is uh, weak. It can't do what it, want, it wants to do. Uh, and we do that. We allow our flesh to override our spirit, or God's spirit. Now, if you remember in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night, he was asking about the kingdom of God and how somebody would get there, you know, how they would inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus said this in John 3 and 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. So there again, Jesus makes the distinction between our flesh and our spirit. There's two of you. He says, you've got to be born both. You're going to be born naturally uh, in a physical way. That's, a, that's a, a physical birth. That's your flesh. That part of you is going to remain flesh. Your flesh isn't going from this earth, by the way. We're going to get new bodies. We're going to be changed. We're going to have an incorruptible body. And a twinkle of an eye, by the way. But our flesh will always be with us. Our flesh will always be carnal. But Jesus, when he redeems us and glorifies us and gives us that glorified body, we no longer will have this fleshly carnal nature to us. Now, those born of the Spirit means the Spirit of God. So those born of the Spirit are spiritual. That's the new creature in you. And those born of the flesh are fleshly. That's the old creature. The spirit is perfect, the spirit is sinless, the spirit is righteous, but the flesh is none of those things. This is what's referred to as the new birth. To be saved, you must undergo a new birth. Remember, Nicodemus didn't understand. He said, you mean i got to go back in my mother's womb, be born again, and all this and that? And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritual matters here. Now, back in our opening text in Romans 7 and 18, the last part of it there, to 19, Paul says, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. So Paul is saying here, I, I, just, I don't understand it. I, I cannot figure out why when I want to do good, I'm doing bad. I'm doing the opposite of what I want to do. And he says, I, I can't even... Find a way. I, I don't know how to perform that which I want to do that's good because I keep doing what I shouldn't do. He wants to live for God. He wants to do the right thing. He wants to live a spiritual life pleasing the Lord. And I believe every Christian wants the same thing. None of us want to live a life of, of sin. None of us wants to be a sinful man and be thought of that way or, or let God see us living in a, in a carnal, fleshly way. None of us wants to do that. Uh, but we find ourselves doing that. And just like Paul, we're saying, you know, I, I don't understand. Look at verse 20. He said, now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. Again, he's, he's saying the same thing. He said, it's not this new man. In me. It's not my spirit. It's not my will. It's not what I want to do. It's the old me. It won't let go. It's, it's just got a hold of me. 
And, uh, he, you know, there's no easy way out. He's not saying he's not to blame for the times that he sins. He's just saying the fact that even though he is saved, a new creature in Christ, he can't escape the sin that still dwells within him. There's no escape. And you can't escape the sin that dwells in you. I can't escape it. Uh, we will have to deal with it until we reach heaven. And so a Christian has to battle. The Bible tells us we, we fight, we war, we battle, uh, we flee, we pray, we struggle, we do all these things because of sin. And we will until the day that we die. All right, look at verses 21 through 23. He says, I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Here, here he's using these terms again, showing the difference of the outward and the inward, the, the spiritual and the carnal. He says, uh, after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Here, as we mentioned already, Paul uses that word captivity here, referring to the law of sin that's in him. Now, Paul's lived under the law of God before. Uh, he says the law is spiritual, the law is good, that law. But he says, you know what? I found out there's another law. And boy, it's not good. It's the law of sin, and it's in me. And uh, it's, it's brought me into captivity. This doesn't mean Paul's a slave to sin. He doesn't serve sin. But what it means is he's been taken captive. Uh, he's, he, and he's unable to escape. So um, think of it like I said earlier. If you're a prisoner somewhere, you're a captive there. It's not under your will that you're there. Nobody wants to be a captive. Nobody willingly say, hey, come up and put me in prison. <laughs> no. You get taken captive against your will. That's what sin does. It takes us captive against our will. We fight against it. We try to escape it. If you were in prison, you'd try to find every way to get out to escape. Same way with sin. We want to escape sin. We try, but it seems to hold us captive. And so then uh, look what Paul says. This and I titled the message this, O Wretched Man That I Am. Verse 24, O Wretched Man That I Am, with an exclamation point. O Wretched Man That I Am, not O Wretched Man That I Used To Be. O Wretched Man Back Before I Got Saved. O Wretched Man Back When I Lived Under The Law. Back, you know, that's not what he said. He said, O Wretched Man That I Am. And so he sees himself as he truly is. He says he's wretched. That means afflicted and miserable is what that word means. Afflicted and miserable. And there seems to be no escape from this sin, from the sickness over it, and his inability to stop sinning. And so he asks the question, it's a rhetorical question, who, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Who? He's doing this for his listening audience, for his reading audience of this letter. So who is able to do this? He answers it in the next verse, verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who. God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus Christ is the one that will deliver him from the body of this death. He's the same one that will deliver you from the body of this death. And so there is only one way of escape. Let's finish that verse. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, 
So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So there's good news and there's bad news. Good news is Jesus will deliver him from this body of death. But the bad news is that law of sin still is going to indwell in my body, in my flesh. And so there's only one way of escape. The only one by whom we can be delivered from this body of death, this misery, this wretched person that we are, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. His finished work on the cross at Calvary. That's how you get saved, by believing in that. By believing that God sent Jesus here to die for your sins. He hung on the cross, he died, he was buried, and he rose again to save you from your sins. I believe that God with all my heart. Call on the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. Jesus, save me. You're the one that came to, to pay for sins. And I want to turn from my wretched uh, self, my sin, and I want to turn to you for salvation. That's being saved. And so, Jesus Christ our Lord is the only way. In fact, Jesus himself in John 14, 6, when he's standing there in that, that wonderful passage of scripture that we love so much, you know, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And Thomas was standing there. He says, Lord, uh, how can we know the way? <laughs> and Jesus told him, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And listen, that should give all of us hope today. It should give us all of us hope. Jesus said this in Matthew 11, 28, 28 through 30. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so that is the universal call that the Lord gives to everyone. Every sinner, come unto me. You are labored, you're heavy laden, you're burdened, but come unto me and lay those burdens down at me. Take my yoke upon you. My papa used to plow them gardens with them horses, big old mules and, and Clydesdale horses, and he put a yoke on them. That yoke made sure that he could control those things. That yoke was heavy. It was burdensome. He would lay it upon the shoulders of those big beasts and then drive them. And he'd go through that garden plowing and things. And if that, that horse got out of the, the way it should go, he'd yank back on those reins on that thing. And uh, that, that yoke that was upon him, that yoke, you know, stood out there with those, those ropes tied to it and twist that thing everywhere. Well, that thing was burdensome. And that's what the Lord is saying here. You, you've got this big old heavy yoke on you. They would put those on those oxen back in these days. Jesus is talking about on those oxen and drive on those things. They control them and they were heavy. And so Jesus says, take that big old heavy yoke off you, off your shoulders. It's burdening you down and take mine on you. Mine is light. Mine's easy. I'm here for you. I want to give you rest. That rest doesn't mean, boy, I'm so sleepy. I need some rest. No, it means rest from your weary, like you said, your weary soul. Our souls are, are weary. They're in distress. They need rest. They're clouded up with all this sin that indwells within us. This battle that we're always under, this, this war, this raging between the new man and the old man, the outward man, the inner man, the fleshly man, the spiritual man, that raging that's going on us. And our soul needs rest. And Jesus says, give it to me. 
I'll take it. Put it down here at my feet. Bur unburden yourself and, and let me help you. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, what about you? Are you burdened down with stress, with guilt, with shame, with sin? Uh, hand it over to the Lord. I mean, that's what we need to do. We carry around so much baggage with us. Uh, back when I used to have to go on business trips all the time. And I had to carry them old bags. And I'd sometimes have to walk through those big airports out in San Francisco and Las Vegas and, and uh, uh, Atlanta and uh, down in uh, Houston. And I'd have to go from one terminal to another. And it might have been a mile or so through that terminal that I'd have to run and I'd have my bags with me. And boy, how awful it was dragging that thing and just worn out the time I get to the plane and I need a rest. Boy, that's the way we are with sin. It just weighs down on us. This old life, all the problems and struggles of life, all the things we're going through, how it burdens us down. And we need help. We need rest. God wants us to have rest. He is the prince. The Bible says the prince of peace. He wants to give you peace and rest. And he wants you to dwell with him. And all we can do that today, we just have to be willing and 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 to do it. I mean, we have to make a conscious effort, put forth the effort, and it starts by you just doing the right thing, saying, God, I'm done. I give up. I've taken it as far as I can. I'm giving it over to you, and I just need your help. Lay it down in his feet. Cast all your cares on me, because I care for you, the Bible says. That's what we got to do. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you today thanking you for the message. Thank you for the, the truths of your word, what uh, the human pen and Paul, what you inspired him to write down for our good, for our benefit, to understand, Lord, that we are in a battle, we're in a struggle, and we will be all of our life. But God, that you are there for us. Lord, you've made a way for us to take off our heavy burdens, our struggles, that yoke, that, that binds us down, Lord, and, and causes us to, to fail. Lord, that we need to take your yoke on us, that light and easy one, Lord. Your burden's easy. Your burden's light, you said. Lord, help us with that. May we put one foot forward, God, and take that first step to turn it over to you to rid ourselves of all these problems that we're going through. Lord, for that lost person out there, the one that's never been saved, I pray for them. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will convict their heart. Show them the need to believe in the gospel and call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Lord, before it's too late. God, thank you for our church. Thank you for those that are here and those listening online. God, may you just help us have a, a, day, a good day today and may we remember it's the Lord's day and to... Uh, to live in a way that be pleasing to you. These things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen. Okay. Well, this is Memorial Day weekend. So I hope everybody has a good Memorial Day. And I saw somebody say, don't wish me a happy Memorial Day. There's nothing happy about it. And that is the truth. Uh, it's the day that we recognize those that gave their life to in, in battle. Uh, so that we can have the freedoms that we greatly uh, love we hold dear to we're not guaranteed these freedoms these freedoms are only made possible because men have stood I know God God is the one that's been holding his hand on us but uh, he has had men uh, over there fighting and uh, 
many gave their lives in all these wars that uh, this country's been in. I'm thankful for them. I've got several uncles that's uh, been in the wars and been in Vietnam and Korea. I know several people that's been in those and uh, got cousins that's been in Iraq and Iran and uh, over there in the Middle East and all those conflicts. And so I appreciate these people that, that sacrifice their life so that we can have these freedoms. And so I hope everybody has a good Memorial Day. And uh, don't, don't forget that the, that the Lord, uh, every day is the Lord's day. And so uh, are all hearts and minds clear this morning? In fear of the Lord, we're separated.